Amen. In case you didn't get the word that uh, we got today about Thad Small uh, falling and being in the hospital, uh, you do need to be praying for him that he hopefully will be able to come home soon. Uh, Brother Thad and Miss Doris, I remember when they first came and visited Madison Baptist Church, we were over on Hughes Road at that time, Eastview Drive and Hughes Road. And uh, I remember when they visited, I went over to their house the first time they visited the church, and I went to their house, and uh, they told me that for years that they had been very, very active in the chaplains, uh, the chapels on base, because he was retired military, and all that time he was just, they were just always very faithful to the chapels on base. Well, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, you know, if they were happy with the chapels on base, they're probably not going to be very happy here. But they came back, and they kept coming back. And boy, what a blessing they were. Uh, we, started, we started a trainer-trainee soul-winning program, and the first person that Thad won to the Lord was his son. And boy, that just lit the fire. He and Doris became the most avid soul winners I've ever seen. And uh, I still remember we were helping out Hendricks Road Baptist Church over in Florence, and we were going around visiting, trying to get people out to Hendricks Road. And I, I was driving around dropping people off and then going and finding out where they're at and making sure that everybody's okay and the ladies that are out are okay. And I come to this little apartment building, and I notice, I, I don't remember who was doing the soul winning with, uh, with Doris, but I looked up at the second floor of this apartment building, and here's Doris and her soul winning partner. They've got a guy outside there on the, uh, outside the door, and Doris has got her Bible, and she's just going like this, boy. <laughs> but both of them were very bold soul winners, and uh, just right on through. Uh, just to some good memories. Every once in a while, it's just good to remember people that have been a blessing to you. And uh, my, how special. Well, turn to chapter 45 of the book of Genesis. Genesis 45. Uh, as you know, in the story that we have been studying the life of Joseph, we've gotten to the place where Joseph has finally revealed himself to his brothers. Those brothers that had wronged him greatly. And I believe... With what we're going to look at tonight, I want you to notice some of the marks of leadership here that Joseph displays. He is a true leader. I mean, at this particular point, he is leading probably the most powerful country on the planet at that particular time. And uh, as a matter of fact, Pharaoh, who already had great power and was mighty, Joseph has even made him greater than what he was before. Because he interpreted his dreams correctly, he planned so that during the seven years of plenty that all that grain would be stored. And then, of course, he made it so that the people could come back during the years of famine that God had given that message to Pharaoh, although Pharaoh didn't understand it, and the people could buy the grain back. And that made Pharaoh extremely rich. And when they ran out of money, they were able to get he was able to get their land. He was able to get their cattle. I mean, Pharaoh has really increased in power big time. And now the people, all of them, the country, are basically worship, are not worshiping him, although they had to do that too. Uh, but they are basically working for him to make him rich. 
And then with the leftovers, they got to keep them. Joseph has been a powerful man. But now, for the first time in, let's see, 22 years, he has gotten to see his family. He's gotten to see his brothers who have done him wrong. He was in the slave house for a few years, and then he was in the prison house for a few more years, 13 years. But by this time, for nine years, he has been in the palace, the number two man only to Pharaoh in the entire country. And his brothers came down to buy food. We saw that last week, but God, he didn't reveal himself to him right away. He kept Simeon in prison, sent them back to bring Benjamin with them the next time. And they held off as long as they could before they came back. And finally they did. And on that second, on that return visit, of course, we find Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. And that's kind of where we ended the story. You can only imagine how their minds are reeling. They had not recognized that that man in the Egyptian garb, speaking Egyptian and speaking through an interpreter to uh, these Hebrews that were his brothers, they did not understand. And he, he told them as they began to fear, thinking about the possible consequences, what Joseph could do with them. He told them to fear not, and he told them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it to save life. You know, if we could look at things like Joseph looked at things, and we've got a Bible, we ought to be able to do it. Amen. We ought to be able to do it. We have the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We know the Word of God. He didn't have that. All he had was a dream. He had a dream. But that dream had nothing to do with forgiving somebody who's wronged you greatly. So now he's revealed himself to him. And so notice we'll begin reading in verse 9. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father and of all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beast, and go. Get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. 
Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. For 22 years he thought his son was dead. He had absolutely no reason to think that his son was alive. He says, Joseph is alive. Now you can only imagine how his mind now began to reel. How could this possibly be? But wait, the news gets better. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, now underline this, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived, and he said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now notice that statement in verse 27. And when he saw the wagons, he didn't believe his sons. He didn't believe the message of his sons that Joseph was alive. But when he saw the wagons... He was convinced. Now, you know, that little statement right there is something worth meditating upon. I want to preach on the whole passage. I'd like to just stop right there and preach on that one verse uh, for the rest of the evening. When he saw the wagons, what made it different? This is something you can chew on for quite a while, and I'd encourage you to do so. So Joseph has gone everything, through everything and testing his brothers and finding out, of course, that there's obviously a change. Uh, they're protecting Benjamin instead of despising him like they had despised Joseph. Um, and in all of this, we see Joseph acting so out of the ordinary to what we would expect people to do in that he's not seeking revenge and he's not holding grudges because he sees God's hand behind it all. That doesn't mean that Joseph knew how God was going to work all this out. Doesn't mean that he had any idea how God was going to work it out when he was a slave. He didn't know how God was going to work it out when he was in the prison house. He didn't know how God was going to work it out when he was in the palace. But when the time came and he saw his brothers, he still didn't know what the end of that was going to be or he wouldn't have put them through the test that he put them through. Now we see his commissions here in jobs that he gives his brothers to do. All right? He's meant them. They're obviously forgiven. Joseph, though, is a natural leader. And here he is, remember, once hated by his brothers for the fact that the dream he had was that one day they'd all bow down to him. They've already bowed to him, which reminded Joseph of the dream again. And now he begins to give them some commands. Somebody 
has to lead. They sure didn't know what to do. He knew, and he gives a number of orders. He tells them to go to Canaan, to get Jacob, tell him he's alive, and bring him back, and to bring all their families back to Egypt. He's also told them that there's going to be famine for another five years. Now notice, first of all, the encouragement he gives. He tells them what's going to take place with the famine and tells them what he's going to give them. He said he's going to give them the best of the land of Egypt. Man, I'll tell you what, you think you'd be shocked if a publisher's clearinghouse came up to your door next week and said that you'll be making $7,000 a week for life? You would probably be stunned. You would probably think Wally and Greg have gotten together for a prank. I mean, really, this just doesn't happen to just normal folks, does it? You can imagine the difference right away after you get over the initial being stunned, you begin to think, what am I going to do with that money? Now you start to plan. By the way, always plan your tithe first. Amen. (laughs) But he tells them what he's going to give them. Almost sounds like a soul winning plan, as a matter of fact. You let them know what is going to happen. Uh, You tell them that they're lost, and because they're lost, that they're going to die and burn in hell if they don't come to Christ. Now, I'm not giving you the plan exactly as we give it, you understand, but a basic order of it. They, they need to be led through a plan, and these guys needed a plan. And by the way, in the soul winning plan, you let them know what they can have. They can have their sins forgiven. They can have eternal life. They can have a home in heaven. You go through all of that. Here's a leader. He's giving all the main facts to these people, and he's telling them the truth. What an encouragement. Then next, we see the ethics. Notice in verse 16. In verse 16, it says, And fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. Somehow, he gets word to Pharaoh. You understand, he's not the ultimate leader of the nation. The leader of the nation is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the one man that has the power to put Joseph back in the prison house. But it's not just that. I mean, Pharaoh has followed everything Joseph has said to do. And Joseph has been responsible. Joseph has made him rich. But he makes sure that Pharaoh knows what's going on. It's still right to touch all the bases. I want you to get that. People get off on their own. They want to have their own program. For instance, when we have vacation Bible school. We've been doing vacation Bible school all the years that I've been here. I had very successful vacation Bible schools also when I was up in Manchester uh, and when I was at Tennessee Ridge. I've always done big vacation Bible schools. We know what we're doing. Every once in a while, there's a worker or a teacher every once in a while that wants to do their own thing. We can't have people doing their own thing. For it to be a good vacation Bible school, everybody's got to be on the same page. And so we give people an outline, what it is that we want done, what's going to happen, how we're going to do this. Now, every year we learn some things that we may need to change or tweak a little bit, something like that. Because if you don't learn from those things, you'll only deteriorate. 
But the point is, you got to have a program and a plan and somebody has to lead it. Somebody has to see to it that it gets done. But we see his ethics in this case. By the way, when Pharaoh hears that Joseph has family, that he has 11 brothers, he gets kind of excited. One brother's made him rich. Think if he's got 11 down there, 11 more. If each of them only do half for Pharaoh, what Joseph has done, man, he's ready to bring him in. And hey, dad's coming too. Now, what he doesn't know is he's not going to get rich off any of them. These brothers are going to get a blessing because of Joseph's testimony. There's an awful lot that we have in life that we got because somebody else did something right. And wise is the person, instead of bragging what a self-made man or self-made woman that they are, if they'd start giving thanks to some people who paved the way along the line. None of us have gone on all this road by ourselves. Thank God for people who have done the things that they've done. It's taken a lot of people. We've had, listen, it's been great. I've had the joy of being able to be pastor of Madison Baptist Church. I didn't start this work. Brother Stark began the work. And he started it right with prayer. And there was a a lot of hard work just getting that building ready and then building on to it with that Uh, the metal part of the building that we had over there at that time, or they had over there and put up, uh, he started the school. He became the first missionary out of Madison Baptist Church. Madison Baptist Church World Missions began right there. Now, throughout all those years, of course, there's been a great number of people that have gone out. They've knocked on doors, invited people in. We've had big days, big vacation Bible schools because a lot of people worked. I mean, if you're a leader and you can have all the right plans, but if nobody does any of the work, it's not going to get done. You understand that we have had what we've had, first of all, because God is blessed in a powerful way and done marvelous things. And his people, whenever God's people have a willing heart, great things can be accomplished. That statement, by the way, is made in the book of Judges dealing with Deborah and Barak. When the people had a willing heart, they were able to throw off the yoke of bondage that they had. So we find him being a blessing and his family gets blessed because of his testimony. Now, let me ask you, what do people think of Madison Baptist Church from your testimony? I mean, what do they think of you? And they find out that You're at Madison Baptist Church. That's where you attend. Or if they've never heard of Madison Baptist Church and they see you and they've talked with you and they find out, oh, by the way, I go to Madison Baptist Church. What do you think they think? I learned a long time ago, you got to be careful just throwing names around. Sometimes when they tell me they work someplace and and I know that one of our members worked there, I like to say, oh, yeah, brother so-and-so, he works there too. And I'll tell you what you don't want. You don't want them to go, oh, really? Man, I'll tell you. Okay, let's change the subject and get on to something else. (laughs) Then there's the enlistment. Verse 20, also regard not your stuff. 
for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, you realize that what he's telling him here, you're to go and you're to bring all your stuff down here. I mean, it's almost like going into the witness protection program. You're leaving everything. You go back, you put everything up in the wagons, you come on back down here. Your whole life is changing. He's a leader. He's telling them what to do next. He's not even asking them to pray about it. He's got a plan. He feels God's given him the plan. And we all know that it's to their betterment that they follow Joseph's plan. Joseph knows what's going on. So enlist them. But it's not a free ride. I mean, after all, if Joseph wanted to, he was powerful enough to just go ahead and order the wagons and send the Egyptians up to where Jacob was at and bring everybody back down to Egypt and just telling his brothers to stay where they're at. But he doesn't have the Egyptians do it. He has his brothers do it. Why? Nobody needs a free ride. I mean, you can give people something free and they have no respect for it. It's not special to them. It doesn't help them by giving them a free ride. And in this country, we have been reduced to a people who want a free ride. We don't want to pay the bills we made on our own credit cards by our own uh, slothfulness. We don't want to pay the bills we made in going to school. We think the government, how in the world is the government responsible for you going to school? To study what you want to study. How's the government responsible for that? This is nuts, man. We've lost any sense whatsoever of personal responsibility. When I went to, when I went to school, Western Michigan University, we paid for it. We just paid for it. And yeah, it was expensive, and yeah, it meant a lot of work. But hey, that work helped me to appreciate it. Things that don't cost you anything, you don't have a whole lot of respect for too often. Anyway, these brothers are obligated to serve Joseph, and by the way, obligated to serve his way. Wait a second, we belong to Jesus Christ. Look what he's given us. He not only gave me eternal life, he gave me new life. He gave me a forgiven life. He's given me a home in heaven. Hey, you know, it's just reason, reasonable that I serve him. It's just reasonable here that his brothers do what he says. He's got something good for them. I just wonder what would have been like if, uh, for instance, Reuben would have stood up and said, you know, Joseph, hey, appreciate the offer. Let us talk it over. We'll think about it. I doubt they'd have got the land. They don't do it. Then we see expounding of their duties. They were sent on a mission with a message. They were to talk about the son. When they got back, they were to tell Jacob that Joseph was alive. In verse 26, they said, he is yet alive. Verse 13, tell my father of all my glory. And verse 26 Pharaoh had made him governor over all the land. He tells him that, to tell, you're to tell Jacob that. I mean, this is wonderful news. Hey, Jesus is king of all. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus is alive. He didn't just die on the cross. 
he rose from the dead and all the glory belongs to him. There's wonderful typology here uh, concerning Joseph and Jesus. You get a great picture here of what's going on. The message including telling Jacob to come unto me. And what does he say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me. According to chapter 47 and verse 13, it says all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Well, had Jacob stayed where he was at, that could have been fatal for him and all of his family. We have the answer for the future. Hey, our world's a mess. Our world is a mess. You know, right now, we're probably one of the cleanest countries in the world, and yet everybody's wanting to tax the world to make it cleaner, or tax us to make it cleaner. That's interesting. You've got all those, uh, all those nations like China and those, um, those far eastern nations like that. Man, they've got plastic galore running down from the rivers into the oceans all the time, and they're doing nothing to clean it up, nothing. It's not our plastic that's muddying everything up. That's not to say that some of our plastic doesn't get into the water, but you'd almost think to hear some of these people talk that America's the problem. And we've done more for there to be a solution than any other nation. But we're Americans, so we'll sit back and take it. Okay, let us clean it up for you. We're wonderful people, aren't we? Although they don't think so. Anyway, with all that's going on, it's a mess. More famine was going to take place. Famine was going to hit hard in Canaan. I got news for you. Things are going to get worse in this country and not better. The world's going to keep getting worse, not better. But thank God I've got the answer. I've got a Savior who's given eternal life, who has a home in heaven for us. And by the way, he's also coming back. Amen. What a wonderful Savior that we have. So we see how serious this message is because he says in verse 9, he says, haste ye. Now they just found out he's alive, that that's Joseph that's been talking to him. He says, haste ye. And then he says at the end of that same verse in verse 9, he says, tarry not. I've got a job to be done and it needs to be done now. He's telling him to get to it. The situation's not going to get better. So when they get back, the brothers are obedient. They go back in verse 27 of chapter 45. The scripture says they told him, that's Jacob, all the words of Joseph. Paul could say, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that's our job. Spread the word of God. Spread the message of God. But in verse 26, at the end of the verse, it says, for he believed them not. Now, what does that say about their testimony? Think about it. What does that say about their testimony? It almost sounds like the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had heard. They make mention of the fact to Jesus. They don't even know that's Jesus talking to them. They said that they were told that the grave was empty, that he had risen from the dead, but they didn't believe it. But it was so. Here, Jacob has just heard that his son's alive. He doesn't believe it. So he's not swallowing it. Is it because of the, uh, his sons? Who knows? 
Interesting note here that Jacob was much slower to believe the truth about Joseph than he was the falsehoods about Joseph. You remember that his sons did not tell him that Joseph was dead. His sons sold him into slavery, took his coat of many colors, dipped it in the lamb's blood, brought it back to Jacob and let Jacob make up his own mind as to what had happened. So he was quick to believe the worst, and now he won't believe the truth. You better be careful about the Internet. There's a lot of false stuff on the Internet, but it's amazing how easy it is to get really thousands upon thousands of people to believe a lie just because somebody said it. And you don't know, but we hear what we want to hear about some liberal that's really bad. I I don't know about you. I believe every bad thing I ever hear about a liberal. (laughs) Now, wait a second. Do you know they're not all bad people? You know there are some people that really are, they think they're doing good for people. They think that. I've learned this too, that unfortunately... When there are brethren that disagree on some things, we have to make an enemy out of them. I mean, if they disagree with me, they got to be bad. That's what we think. Instead of checking them out to find out. Now, there are, listen, there's some wickedness out there in so-called spiritual and religious circles. But that doesn't mean everybody's guilty of that. And just because some people disagree on some things, you've got to be careful. I think one of the latest things that's really grieved my heart, that when it comes to the Word of God and the King James Bible being the Word of God, you've got a couple of different positions. There's what's called the double, that there's some who will tell you that the King James Bible is a double inspired Bible. It was inspired in English and I'm sorry, it was inspired in Greek and Hebrew, and then it was inspired again in English. Now, there's another group that believe that in the inspiration preserved theory of the Bible, that is, that the Scripture was given by inspiration of God, as the Scripture says, and God preserved His Word for us in the English language through the King James Bible. Now, let me tell you what the end result of both of these things are. The double inspired or the inspired preserved. Both groups believe their King James Bible. And they're arguing publicly on the internet about it. But they both believe it. All right, so you disagree with how how it came about, but you both believe God did it. And you both believe it's God's word. So shut up. You make yourselves look stupid. Well, no, man, it's got to be this way. Oh, get over yourself. We got other things that are far more important to deal with. That brother, you know, I don't care. Well, no, I do care. Let me go on. Uh, Then there's the enabling. There's the enabling. They would have to bring over 60 persons from Egypt, or from Canaan down to Egypt. 
So if you look at verse 19, it says, Now thou art commanded, this do, uh, this do ye take ye wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. So they were to go. He gave them wagons so that they could get the job done. Now, we've got a New Testament example of that, by the way, giving what's needed to get the job done. For Jesus said, after telling the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now, they don't have the New Testament yet. They got the New Testament message. But they don't have the New Testament. They can't go through the Romans road. And the crowd, the first crowd that they're going to be preaching to is the very crowd that cried, crucify him, crucify him concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, all right, you're to go and you're to tell the world, but wait, you need the promise of the Father upon you. He says, tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's what he needed. They prayed 10 days. They got what they needed. Then they went out. And 3,000 get saved. God just didn't send them out and say, good luck, fellas. He gave them what they needed to get the job done. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave an interesting promise to the disciples. Turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 16. He says, you have not chosen me. But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now notice, he's just told them why he's sending them out. He said, I chose you. I'm sending you out to bear fruit. And then he says, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That's a great prayer promise, but that's not for your whims. It's to get the job done he sent you out to do. Pray for his power, pray for his might, pray for wisdom, pray for boldness. Because you need that in being effective in bringing people to the Savior. He says, all right, I've ordained you to do this. Now whatsoever you ask, whatsoever you need to get that job done, you ask it, I'll do it. Here, he gives these, his brothers what they need to get the job done that he's telling them to do. And then we find the exhortations. They were fervent. Notice again in verse 9, he said, Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith the, thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down unto me and tarry not. We serve a great God and we are to be fervent. Romans 12, 11, Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9, 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Let's get back to Joseph here a minute. He didn't believe him when they told him, but when he saw the wagons. Now, think about it for a moment. Why would he believe when he saw the wagons? I had an interesting thought given me today by somebody that was in the morning service. They said, think about all the pictures you've ever seen of people in the deserts and in their caravans. You know, you never see in those pictures, you hardly ever see wagons. They're not there. You'll see camels. You'll see, the, you'll see them 
carrying some stuff, but in all those pictures, I'm sure they got some wagons, but you don't see them. You don't normally see them around their tents and stuff like that. Some way they got to get them there. But think about the wagons for just a moment. These would be Egyptian wagons. They would have the official marking of Pharaoh. Now that could have sent two messages to Jacob. Could have said, guess what? The Egyptians have come to take you away. But when he saw those wagons, remember they said Joseph is alive. Those wagons were proof that this is Joseph to Jacob. You tell people you're saved, your life ought to be proof that you are. You say you belong to God, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, then walk like him. The Bible says, be followers of God as dear children. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. That word followers is the Greek word from which we get our English word mimic. Be mimickers of God. Be like God. Now I had, I had a couple of brothers and I had sisters. If you've had brothers and sisters, you know what mimicking is. You say something, they repeat it. You say it again, they repeat it again. And they know they've gotten you now because now you're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack you. I'm going to smack you. You see, the problem is when you let it bother you, you've lost. You've lost, man. They got you right where they want you. Isn't that right? They said, don't mimic me. Mom! Well, we're to be mimickers of God. We're to say what he would say. We're to act like he would have us to act. Be mimickers of God. Hey, here's Joseph. He has sent wagons down. What was Joseph's testimony? When all the others, uh, other brothers had their sheep up around Dothan, he sends Joseph up there to them. Why wasn't Joseph up there? You get the idea that Joseph had a pretty important position, even though at that point he was the second youngest. This man was a leader. There was something special about him from the beginning, and the dreams that he had proved that, even though that wasn't even accepted by Jacob at the time. So when he saw the wagons, his spirit revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. He's alive. He wants me. And he's a leader. He's everything that his brothers say he is. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. May we learn something from Joseph, the leader. God, help us, I pray, to incorporate some of these traits into our lives where we serve you as you would have us to serve you. Bless, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.